or what I'm calling the word this morning, is all about dedication. And we're reading from Luke chapter 2, verse 22. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph had to bring Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to be dedicated. And Luke describes the dedication ceremony of Jesus in the temple in symbolic detail, in a very, if you like, hidden way that Luke has in his writings, having something behind what he says that he wants us to understand. And we read in that verse, verse 22, then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to dedicate him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. There's so much in that. The Jewish rite of dedication was a reenactment of the firstborn sons of Israel being redeemed from the angel of death when Israel was supernaturally released from bondage under Pharaoh and the firstborn sons of Egypt were slain. That's in Exodus 13. So we're reminded of what the law says about dedication and the firstborn. The dedication of the firstborn is called Pidyon Haben in Hebrew, whereby the father presents the child with five silver shekels to the priest, returning his firstborn son to God. It's yours. The priest then symbolically offers to accept five silver shekels instead of the child's life. And once the payment is made, the son is redeemed. And that's in Numbers chapter 18. So you can see the detail behind this act of dedication. A child's life is offered, but saved. The number five in the Bible speaks of grace. Five shekels. And silver speaks of redemption. So there's a message in here. I believe Luke wants us to know it. The redemptive power of grace over bondage to the law. And that's also symbolised by Luke in the fact that there are five mentions of the word law in that chapter of Luke. Even though Luke didn't work out where the chapters would be, somehow the Holy Spirit got, got into this passage of Scripture and he does as he wills, the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing that compares to those five mentions of law in any other chapters in the New Testament. So we have the five shekels of silver, which is redemption, and the five mentions of the word law. So Jesus was dedicated on our behalf for us to be supernaturally brought out of bondage from the world and from the law by his grace. We saw in the book of Acts that Luke observed and understood Paul's fervent teaching of grace overcoming the bondage of the law. He was there with Paul who went through such opposition to his message. And Luke embeds the power of that truth into this gospel also. It's prompted me to want to continue in the book of Luke for a while because he brings to life Paul's teachings of grace and law. 
Reading on now about that event of dedication. The Holy Spirit had prompted a man named Simeon to go to the temple that day. The Holy Spirit had once revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen Jesus, God's anointed king. And so when Mary and Joseph arrived to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, the Spirit bore witness to Simeon that his prayer had been answered. And he greeted them, taking the child in his arms and praising God. Lord, he said, I've seen him as you promised me I would. I've seen the saviour you've given to the world. He is the light that will shine upon the nations and he will be the glory of your people Israel. Now I can die in peace. So that was Simeon. Then Simeon blessed them all and said to Mary about her son Jesus, this one is a sign for the fall and rise of many in Israel and as a sign that will be opposed and denied by multitudes in all the earth, and that the thoughts of their hearts might be revealed. That's what Jesus, as the light of the world, does. Brings things into the light. And he's doing that in the world today. This prophecy declares Jesus as the one who represents the central truth of human life, which challenges us to either accept or reject the truth of his virgin birth, his life, his death and resurrection, his ascension and his sending of the Holy Spirit. This truth is the challenge that provokes opposition and denial in the human heart. And that's what the Holy Spirit has to contend with. That truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. So that provokes opposition and denial in the human heart where all our inner conflicts between light and darkness are deliberated and judged. We have a conscience and there's this inner conflict of light against darkness. As we know the truth, we're led by light into making the decisions that are of faith by the grace of God. So that brings every human heart into account before God. One day, Jesus now stands in the middle of every decision we make to give us his wisdom and justice and truth. What a blessing. If you lack wisdom, he'll give it to you. He's there. As we accept and not reject, we get his truth and his wisdom and justice. This is ours if we let him into our heart and it's on offer for all mankind. God's got a way of getting it into people's hearts. Only he knows how to do that. But we can live it, live that blessing, being redeemed. Meanwhile, in this account by Luke, a group of highly esteemed wise men called Magi set out from Babylon in the east and these Babylonian scholars knew the biblical scrolls that spoke of a coming Messiah. Babylonian philosophy and beliefs had been impacted by the Jewish prophet Daniel during the 70-year captivity of the Jews in Babylon, and he had become a prophetic hero of both the Jewish and the Babylonian cultures. These wise men would have seen an exceedingly bright star for some weeks in the eastern sky. 
which is now known to have been a convergence of two great planets. In those days, everything that lit up the sky was called a star. And they'd followed this great light to the region of the special birth and had been asking questions around Jerusalem about the birth of the new king of Israel. Their line of questioning and discussion came to the ears of the local ruler, King Herod, who acted as an intermediary to Caesar. And he had become extremely threatened by the news of this supposed special child, whose birth had been heralded by some shepherds and was being excitedly spoken about all over Judea. He also had some knowledge about the scriptural prophecies about a birth of a Messiah or a new king to begin a new kingdom on the earth. He was well-versed, Herod. But he was obsessed about creating his very own dynasty instead. He didn't want another king being born. So Herod secretly summons the wise men to his palace and told them the whereabouts of the region where they might find news of the child. But he asked them to come back and inform him of the child's exact location, telling them that he too wanted to worship this new king. All he needed to know was where to send his garrison of soldiers so that the child could be killed. Just like what Pharaoh wanted to do, kill off the deliverer before he's born. Not so, says God. The wise men proceeded to follow the bright star and were guided to the house where Joseph and Mary and the child Jesus were still staying. And when the men were invited to see the child, they went down on their knees and worshipped him. They presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And those things speak of the nature of God and prayer and praise as the incense that rises and myrrh, which is the suffering of Jesus that we share in. That same night, an angel gave a message to the wise men in a dream, warning them not to report back to Herod. So the men departed and returned to their homeland another way. After their departure, the angel also appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt that night and to stay there until he brought forth the word, warning him that Herod was seeking the young child to destroy him. Then Herod became infuriated and he commanded a garrison of soldiers to go out and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its surrounding districts. And that's that area of Zebulun and Naphtali, down further as well into the south, from the Jordan River to the sea, Galilee of the Gentiles. This tragic event was prophesied by Jeremiah. In Ramah, a voice of weeping was heard and lamentation and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, unable to be comforted because of her loss. That's in Jeremiah 31, also in Matthew chapter 2. Herod died soon after this, and the angel spoke to Joseph in another dream that it was now safe to leave Egypt, fulfilling another prophecy which was spoken through the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. That's in Hosea 11. But when Joseph learned that the son of Herod, who now ruled in his father's place, was as treacherous as his father, he was afraid to go back to the area until the angel appeared to Joseph again in a dream and told him to go to a quiet lakeside village in Galilee where they would be safe. They came and settled in a city called Nazareth, fulfilling yet another prophecy, he shall be called a Nazarene. It's in Matthew 2. 
And they settled there as a family for many years, where Jesus grew from a child into an adult. During this growing up time in the life of Jesus, there is an account in this word here in Luke of one special incident when Jesus was 12 years old. His parents took him with a caravan of many other families to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, which they did every year, celebrating the saving of the lives of the firstborn and the supernatural deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. That's what the Passover is about. You see, how much this story weaves together. Those firstborn children in Egypt, the children of Israel, were redeemed by the blood of the lamb. They had to take the blood of the firstborn lamb and sprinkle it over the, the doorposts so that the angel would pass over them. That's the feast of Passover. And here we have being redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And it comes up in this story here. And Jesus, at 12 years of age, is there. But when they were on the way home, they were on their journey with the other people in the caravan, Mary and Joseph, they were one day out from Jerusalem and they noticed they had not seen Jesus for the whole day. And they supposed that he was with relatives and friends in the crowd. But when they asked around, it was clear that he was not with the caravan. So they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. And it was only on the third day that they finally found him in the temple, astounding the teachers of the law with the depth of his questions and the wisdom of his answers. Jesus said to his perplexed and distressed parents when they found him, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's work? Jesus then went home with them and was subject to them. And the Bible says Jesus grew and increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. And that's the end, really, of the chapter of Luke 2. Now, Jesus knew the fullness of his heavenly Father's love towards him and that he was the one who would make that unlimited love available to all of us. He also knew the unlimited dedication of his Father toward him. That's why I'm calling today's word all about dedication. It's one thing for us to know and realise through Jesus the love of our Father God, but it is another thing to know his unlimited dedication to us as well. Jesus was sent to express God's dedication to us and to share it with all of us as people that he wants to live for and live with forever. That's what dedication is about. It is living for someone. In the Godhead, there are three things that mark the nature of God in the Godhead. There's the love of God that they all share together. The energy that created everything and still upholds everything by the word of his power. So the Bible says in 1 John 5, 7, these three agree in one, the Father, the Word and the Spirit. So they have, they share that love and they share that truth, the knowledge of God, the one truth that we need to have. It's not a whole lot of facts. It is knowing God. That is the truth that will bring us into the unity of faith. And then these three have as a mark of their nature within one another is the willingness and desire to serve one another. And that's the dedication. They live for one another. 
So dedication is about living for something, giving your life to it. As the parents of Jesus said, we're dedicating him to God. The priest said, but you're giving me the redemption money, the five shekels, speaking of the grace and the redemption. And he said, you can have his life back. The act of dedication was absolutely necessary because it's something that God wants us to know about because it changes our lives. Not just knowing we're loved, but knowing we can have the truth about who God is and knowing that he is dedicated to us. He lives for us. We'll look a little more at that now. Jesus was sent to express God's dedication to us and to share it with all of us as people that he wants to live for and live with forever. That's what Jesus came to do. He gave his life for us. That's a very powerful act of serving. But his father gave his life to us. The father gave Jesus to us, dedicated him to us. There's an inbuilt capacity created by God in every human heart to desire to dedicate themselves to something greater than themselves. It can be born out of a true concern for a noble or virtuous cause. Dedicated people, they abound. Or to dedicate themselves lovingly to a relationship. We see that. That's an echo, a shadow of something from God. But there's also an intense form of dedication to a harmful cause that is born out of resentment and vengeance against perceived injustice and that abounds in the world today. A dedication to malevolence and revenge. God has the greater dedication and that will triumph over the dark dedication. Dedication to put right what people want as their perception of what is just because it suits their agenda of right and wrong. Our capacity for heartfelt dedication is just that echo of God's great dedication to all of us as his own beloved human creation. And this was totally lived out in his dedication to Jesus who responded with his total dedication back to the Father. And Jesus gives us the grace to respond in dedication back to God. Within the heart of every person, there also exists the fierce dedication of the Holy Spirit struggling to win our hearts for Jesus. Now He's struggling against the dedication of darkness to try and blind our minds from the knowledge of God. The Holy Spirit struggles to win our hearts and our minds and his struggle with the human soul results in mankind's agony of inner conflict. It is there screaming what to do, what to think. That is the hidden and suppressed inner pain of a sad humanity that we see today. There's no simple whiteboard waiting for something to be written on it in man's heart. There's activity going on. There's a spiritual struggle in every single heart that gets confused and confounded, feels lost, wants to know something, wants to have certainty. 
The grace of God is able to bring us the understanding, as we prayed this morning, to give the future to God. That becomes a freedom, real freedom from that pain of all of the inner conflict comes with our acceptance of God's relentless dedication to us. Think about it. He's on our case saying, I'm going to bring you the knowledge of who I am, what my love means, how I was dedicated to sending my son to live that life and to understand the agony because of the way that the enemy attacked him to try and bring darkness into his mind and into his heart, Jesus would have none of it. He struggled for us. And his dedication wins over in us. And out of that freedom comes our dedication back to God. So what do we do? We give ourselves to Jesus as a brother and friend and as our Lord and Saviour. Amen.